Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. And welcome to another episode here with me, Kulmahey, where I get to interview incredible people, incredible leaders from around the world and have inspired conversations. I'm looking for those leaders uh, who are practicing emotional intelligence in everything that they do. My guest today, however, is somebody who doesn't just practice emotional intelligence. She lives it and breathes it every single minute of the day. Uh, and I'm so honoured to have uh, uh, Amy with me. I've got Amy Sargent, who is the Executive Director of the Institute of Social and Emotional Intelligence, where I'm actually accredited as a coach. And uh, so it's uh, when I do my, uh, my assessments, it's the ISEI assessments that I use and the philosophy that Amy has brought about, which I think is one of the best out there, to be quite honest. So it's a huge, huge pleasure to have Amy with us. Amy, I can see that you've got a lovely suntan. It's, uh, if I might say, it's quite cold here in the UK. I'm not entirely sure where Amy is, but she's somewhere hot and somewhere sunny, somewhere in Florida. <laughs> I am, Carl. Thank, thank you so much for the for the introduction, and I'm so so delighted to be here. Thank you, and I love your heart for emotional intelligence. You two are out there spreading it, living it. Um, so it's exciting to have this conversation with you today. Yeah, I mean, just before, I wish I'd pressed record about uh, 15 minutes before because we just had this incredibly inspired conversation, haven't we, Amy, about uh, our joint passion about uh, taking emotional intelligence out there into the world, into the world of leadership, into organizations, into the youth. Uh, we've both got some really exciting things that we're doing. I love talking to Amy because every single moment I do that, and every time I walk away, there's another bit of inspiration for me. If I'm feeling exhausted, it just spurs me on to go and do even more. But Amy, what we want to talk about today is, we could talk about so much around emotional intelligence, can't we? So we want to try and break it down. And we have I have not done an episode yet on uh, leadership styles. So in Daniel Goldman's book, Primal Leadership, there are six fundamental leadership styles within emotional intelligence. And one of them is the coaching leader. So, Amy, coaching as a fundamental leadership principle, what does that mean to you? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, in thinking this week as preparing for this, talking about the definition of coach, you know, we throw that word around all the time now. I have a coach. I'm getting a coach. I need a coach. Um, looking back where it came from, it was a slang word in the um, early 18th century that students used um, with their instructors that were helping them prepare for an exam to help them prepare to pass an exam. And it was the word coach is like a transportation vehicle, right, to move you from one place 
place to another. And the thought of coaching, moving, um, when you think of it in terms of leadership, moving our employees, our teammates, our colleagues from one place to another, um, moving them towards success, providing the vehicle that helps them go from here, which is where we are now, to where we want to where we want to be, um, helping them reach those goals, those dreams, those successes. And I just love the the thought behind that that a coach is a vehicle to help someone get to where they want to go. I mean, how simple is that? It's one of the best analogies I've ever heard, and I don't think I've ever heard that particular analogy. I didn't know that that's where the word coach came from. To be quite honest, I knew coach was a vehicle. But I thought it was all about, uh, you know, coaching in terms of physical training. Which it's it's modified into, and we use it in so many venues now. But the thought of that, the, and even in the physical training world, um, you know, they're moving someone from where they are now yeah. physically to where they want to become. So I think as we start off this conversation, just keeping that in mind, I think there's a lot of misnomers about what coaching is. Um, and I think a, a lot of leaders may have a little fear around, oh, great, here's one more thing I have to add to all these things I'm supposed to, now I've got a coach. But learning that it's simply probably what they're already doing is helping move their teams, their, you know, their key leaders, their employees, where they want to go, you know, towards company success, towards personal success. Um, I think just understanding that definition of it really eases maybe some of the fears around, oh, great, now I have, I have one more thing I have to learn. I think that's such a such a great way of describing it. And, you know, it wasn't until I left the police service some seven years ago uh, and I've always been the, the, the kind of leader that wants to sit down and understand uh, my people. I'd walk around, I'd have conversations. I try to understand what their aspirations were and how I could support them. It wasn't until I left policing that I realized that what I'd been doing for the past 20 odd years was coaching. Yeah, I think a lot of us have been coaching most of our lives. Um, any parents out there have been coaching um, with friends. You know, we coach our friends. Our friends share something with us and we listen. We ask them more questions. We, you know, say, hey, can I offer some? We've been coaching our whole lives. Um, so putting that official stamp, um, for some reason, there's fear attached to that. And I, I think just talking about it can help release that, that it's something we all do. Um, a lot of us have done naturally. Um, some of us, not as natural as others. Some of it... Um, um, it is a learned skill, though, and it's nothing. It's nothing that um, that anyone can't learn. I think you're so right. I think you know anyone can learn the, the the art of coaching, and it's not such a dark art as people might assume <laughs> it is. And I think yeah. I think coaching has got a bad name over the recent years uh, because you know so many people proclaim to be a coach uh, and perhaps don't actually do the coaching. Uh, they perhaps do something else, uh, but yeah. not what I would describe as coaching. And I think that's sadly where it starts getting a bad name uh, so I, I you know I even shy away from calling myself a coach sometimes you know I call myself a specialist as opposed to a, a coach. specialist yeah yeah uh, but I'm sure other people have got other 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 sort of uh, descriptions for it but in the context of leadership you know if we accept that we are all coaching at some point or another the moment we're asking those deep questions the moment we're allowing someone to think in the moment and, and and try to become more solution focused about whatever challenge that they might have going on within themselves. When it comes to the context, context of coaching and leadership, what are the fundamental skills that you think any leader should uh, be aware of and, and, and consciously be applying in their leadership? It's probably things um, a lot of leaders are already doing, but um, you've already mentioned it several times um, that it is an art. Um, I think it starts a lot with being prepared, um, learn, learning about 
you know, who you're going to coach, getting to know them, building a relationship with them first. If you've ever tried to like step in and, and guide someone and, and you don't even have a relationship built with them, you'll find that they, they put up walls. But when they know that you know them and understand them, you've taken the time to get to know um, not just their professional goals, but even what's going on in their personal lives. Um, people are going to be a lot more receptive to your guidance, to your direction. So using that time to prepare um, just by building a relationship with with those that you're going to coach um, is huge. Um, and then there's that discovery part. And I think this is where um, leaders who are trying to learn to be coaches need to just start honing those communication skills, um, how to ask open-ended questions, how to ask rich, meaningful, open-ended questions, smart questions um, that help the person that you're asking have a better understanding of of the story that's playing out in their lives. You know, so many times someone may fire questions at someone and it, it feels like an interview rather than using using open-ended questioning to help them help them come away thinking, wow, I understand myself a little better. And I understand how I'm fitting into this world around me a little better. So really learning how to um, ask those questions. And then the flip side of, of all communication, not just asking the right questions, but really honing those, those listening skills. Because um, it's one thing to ask a great question, but if you're just so bent on asking all your questions and not really listening to the answers, um, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. So learning to listen, um, something for me, as I've learned coaching skills, I've really had to learn to adapt to is, um, you know, you can come to a, a coaching session very well prepared, but the very first question you ask that your client may go a whole different direction than you were planning. And to be okay with that, to, to be able to be flexible enough to realize this is this is what they need to talk about today. You know, I came in with my preparation and ready to go this direction, but they've got something going on in them that really needs to be focused on first. So as a leader, being flexible enough to, to go with that and adjust questions in the moment to really understand where they need to go. That, that's been a huge one for me. You know, I came in all prepared and here's what we're going to talk about today and I'm going to coach you in this and really learning to follow their lead in those in those coaching moments so flexibility i think would be a a, a third one there of um able in that moment to be flexible to let the conversation go where it needs to go three really really powerful points so the first one is around learn to ask really powerful open questions yep uh, the second is to listen mm -hmm. uh, not just to listen but to hear yeah. And to demonstrate and to let the person know that you are listening, that you are being attentive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. nothing worse than uh, somebody glazing over it while you're talking. You can see that they're distracted. You can tell right away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and absolutely. these are learned skills. You know, these are what, what's exciting about any of these competencies of emotional intelligence, communication being one of them. Um, it's something we can develop and learn. You know, you might not be great at it right now. That's okay. But being willing to own that I need some work here on my listening skills. Um, not not that great at it. I do tend to pick up my phone and scroll when someone's talking. These are learned behaviors that, that we can make adjustments. You know, it's it's not like it's they're um, so daunting that only the elite can reach these. We can all learn better communication skills. And I've seen this time and time and time again now, Amy. The third point, by the way, was to be flexible in the moment. Uh, to learn to dance in the rain type of thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and there's something around servant leadership that feeds into that for me, the concept of servant leadership, that you don't just stick with your own agenda, that you can be, you can move to the agenda of somebody else around you. Uh, and, and, and you're so right about these skills can be learned. I mean, I have 
delivered so many programs that follow the 26 competency areas and such deep competencies as well within the whole ISEI principles. Uh, and I've seen people grow from having uh, this level of EQ to having that level of EQ and, and just moving up. Uh, so for me, this is, you know, they very often say there's a saying that leaders aren't born. I genuinely believe that leaders aren't born and leaders can be created. And, and within all of that, EQ can be extended and can be uh, nurtured and grown over time. And communication skills, one of my frustrations is that communication skills are very often referred to as soft skills by yeah, organizations. Yeah. Now I know that, yeah, <laughs> I sort of know what you're going to say. But what's the business case for emotional intelligence in an organization? There are a lot of studies out there and research done that companies who have brought in emotional intelligence coaches to work with their teams, um, you know, increased, increased bottom line, increased. Um, when you think about things like, um, just I'll give one example in, in the business world, um, say there's a lot of conflict going on and it's typical in a company, there's conflict. Um, the time and money that we spend working on conflict, sorting it out, you know, going to HR, someone's going to, you know, pull the two parts aside, talk through it. Um, maybe once somebody gets disgruntled and quits the new hire process, there's so much money that goes down the drain when there's a lack of emotional intelligence. Um, when you stop to think about things like conflict, things like um, communication that goes wrong, um, not knowing how to play as a good team player, not knowing how to lead teams, you know, in an inspirational way, the amount of money that we spend um, sorting out the conflicts that come from that. Um, if, if, any, if any company sat down to figure that out, um, th the flip side, bringing a coach in to actually do some proactive work to build these emotional intelligence skills, um, really going to save a lot of money. But let's set the money side apart. Imagine the, the sense of, of self-awareness um, when you understand your own strengths, which is when we're talking about emotional intelligence, we're talking about an awareness of our strengths and awareness of our areas of growth. And then know, having some tools to manage my behaviors based upon those awarenesses. And then also tuning into those around me as a leader. Do you know your team's strengths? Do you know their areas of growth? And do you know what behaviors to put into place to help, you know, help them build up those areas of growth and, and lean into their strengths. So uh, just the well-being that can come from um, confidence that can come of knowing, knowing our, you know, I walk into a room, I know the areas I'm going to do well in. I know the areas I struggle in and, and having that awareness um, can, it can give such a sense of emotional well-being, knowing where you fit in, in, in the bigger scheme of things. Does that, does that make sense at all? It makes perfect sense. Uh, and I think you know, the other thing is that uh, um, when you have a highly emotionally intelligent culture or highly emotionally intelligent people within that culture, um, you can read the subtext of what goes on in the culture yeah, as well. Yeah. So when you, when you don't understand you know, the, the organizational awareness or the social awareness or the awareness of how other people behave around you, when you don't get that, it's so easy to make clumsy mistakes, so easy to upset people, so easy to go against the organizational norms and, and, and things like that. So I think emotional intelligence, yes, it starts off absolutely with this deep level of self-awareness. And once you have that level of awareness, it's about then understanding, well, what do I need to tweak to be even better, to be even more emotionally intelligent? But then it's external facing thereafter. Uh, so when people, when organizations and leaders talk about it being a soft skill, I, I just see it as being a, a, a golden thread of skills. It is yeah. critical and essential 
to the well-being and the productivity and the performance of any organization. When we realize that leadership is really about, um, you know, training up others, um, not, you know, it's not about me looking great, I'm a leader, but it's really about empowering, empowering our teams to be their best self. What better way to do that than helping them develop their own emotional intelligence, you know, through through that coach approach. Um, and I really do think for any leader who wants to lead with a coach approach, um, they've got to in, embody that themselves. So maybe leaders finding a coach to work with just, just to have a model of what coaching looks like, you know, how to ask those questions, how to build those relationships. And then in turn, they can begin doing that with their, with their teams and, and colleagues, et cetera. Coming back onto the whole coaching approach. Now, whenever you talk about coaching, it's very easy and people can be forgiven to think of, you know, what two people sitting down, one talking to the other, listening attentively, asking powerful questions, et cetera, et cetera. And that, absolutely, that would be a, a correct image of coaching. But a coaching approach to leadership doesn't need necessarily mean you talking to one individual. It could be you, how you deal with your whole team. So a coaching approach could be, could be evident in how you conduct yourself at a meeting, chairing a meeting, for yeah. example. What are the what are the things uh, and meetings? By the way, is something that I feel are uh, something that we do an awful lot of, yeah, but not yeah. always very very uh, well. Uh, and there's so much time, resource, uh, and money that's gone into meetings that have been wasted because we just don't structure our meetings very well. In the context of a meeting, what would you say a healthy meeting look like if the, if we were to approach it with a coaching approach? I know personally, I need a really good agenda up there. I want to see where we're going. And, and that may seem a little technical for this conversation, but I think everyone coming to a meeting wants to know why we're having the meeting and what, what the structure is. Um, that way throughout the meeting, they can know, you know where we're at, where we're going. Um, I think that's just a, a kindness that anyone setting up a meeting can do. But then within that framework, um, thinking of it as a rather than this is an opportunity for me to tell you everything I need you to know um, coming into meetings as a as a way to share ideas um, more of a, a partnership or an alliance you know he, here's the goal we have here's where we'd like to let's you know what do we have to bring to this together um, it actually takes a lot of pressure this coach approach off of a leader because suddenly as the leader, you don't have to have all the answers, that it's actually okay to lean into your team members. It's okay to even say, you know, I don't know the best approach. I have my ideas and I know where I'd like to go, but I would like to learn from you. You know, we've got colleagues and team members that have been working um, sometimes as long as the leader has in the position, they've got some great ideas. So using meetings as a place to collaborate ideas, to share ideas, and as a leader, being willing in those moments to have your perspective changed if needed. Because um, it's one thing to say, yes, I'm I'm a collaborative leader and I want to hear your ideas, but I'm still thinking in my head, we're going to do it my way. But to truly be open to having my opinions, my perspectives changed as a result of this meeting, as a result of the ideas and, and shared um shared ways of doing things that, that come about. So I, I think a lot of more people would enjoy meetings if they knew their voice actually carried some weight and using meeting time to do that, to really use it as a, as a space for collaboration. Do you agree with that? Or what are your thoughts on I that? I absolutely love it. I'm like, sit, I'm sat here just listening to you and watching you talk and thinking, you've just nailed it for me. I talk mm -hmm. about cognitive diversity. 
Yeah. Uh, and what you've just described to me there is you, you're the, one of the greatest opportunities that are being missed in organizations to bring about cognitive diversity. There's a great book. I don't know if you've heard it to uh, read it called The Rebel Ideas, written by a, a, an English guy called Matthew Syed. If you haven't read it, uh, Amy, I absolutely recommend that you get his book. Brilliant book. Um, uh, Matthew Syed talks about cognitive diversity as opposed to demographic diversity. And he says, you know, so many organizations are out there chasing some recruitment targets to make sure that they've got, uh, you know, X percent of people of color, X percent women, X percent LGBT and so forth and so on. That's demographic diversity so that your organization looks different. But what happens if they all come from the same place? They've all been to the same school. They all eat the same right, kind of food. They all right, think right. in the same kind of way. You're actually still feeding that group think mentality in the echo chamber that exists in an organization. But what you're saying is, okay, let's assume that you haven't got the demographic diversity. Let's assume that you haven't got that. Let's assume that you've got a, a, a group of individuals around your table. If your leadership style is a, more of a coaching style where you're getting the very best out of the individuals and you're creating a safe space for them to speak from their own experience, from their own, their own perspective, that's actually cognitive diversity. What you're actually doing is creating... Uh, creating a, 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 a ground for creativity and innovation yeah, and, and yeah. actually challenging the group thing. So I love what you're saying. And I've never actually thought of it that way. I've never thought about coaching leadership actually driving cognitive diversity, which is brilliant. Yeah, You actually touched on such an important component of it too, is that creating that space of trust where, um, where people feel safe, um, a lot of us have been in cultures of leadership where you, you know it's smarter to keep your mouth shut and not speak up. Or you may fear that if you throw out this idea, you know, there may be judgment upon it, good or bad. And so as a leader, um, creating a space of trust where it's safe to throw out ideas, where it's safe to throw out bad ideas, where it's safe to try ways and, and actually fail. And that, um, that can take some work, but building that culture of trust where people feel confident enough to not only share their own ideas, but try them. And if they don't work to be able to learn from that. Um, so many of us are so afraid of failure and, I think that that's leaders as well. Leaders are afraid of failing. And there's something in this, I mentioned this earlier, this fear around coaching that, you know, as a leader, if I reveal to my teams that I don't have it all figured out, that I'm not the smartest one in the room, that that I don't have, you know, I don't have the clear direction on where it's going, all these things we're told leadership should be. Um, there's fear and what what if what if I mess up? What if my way doesn't work? So leading with a coach approach actually makes leadership so much easier because you don't have to have all the answers. And if there is a mistake, I guess if, there's, if there is a failure, you jointly own that so that all of that doesn't land on your own shoulders, I guess. Yep. And definitely addressing those mistakes. This isn't talking about, you know, letting things go that didn't work, but ha having those those constructive um conversations around, you know, giving feedback. Hey, we tried this. This didn't work. Let's talk about why this didn't work. Um, you know, what could we have tweaked here that could have done better? But having an open conversation around that rather than a shaming, you know, we shouldn't have done that. We can learn so much from mistakes. 
But as leaders, we're so often afraid of having any mistakes show up in our workplace because so many times we measure on we measure on perfection versus the learning and growth mindset that can come from this. So it's definitely a, a shift of of mindset, you know, as we as we go into leadership. It's um, it's 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 definitely leaning towards growth mentality versus I have it all figured out. And and most of us have not been taught that, you know. That's a this is a new skill set for many of us. Most definitely, I think you know we are we have it drilled into us from the moment that we're compass mentors as young children. That uh, you know it's a competitive world out there, and our job is to compete with the rest of us. And it's taken me so long; it's taken me several decades to realize that that's an absolute mistruth. You know, it isn't yeah. a competitive yeah. world out there. I don't need to compete with anybody else, and and I I can quite easily have that growth mindset and continue to grow myself. Uh, but, you know, what you've talked about there around failure, I think it's something that we don't – I've heard so many people superficially talking about failure is a good thing, but nobody talks about it in the depth. The, 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 help, the, the reason why failure is important for me um, is it is not so much the failure, it's about how we respond to that. If we respond yeah, to it yeah. by saying, hey, okay, so this didn't work very well, what could we do to improve it? As opposed to saying, you got that wrong and, you know, it, it, it's all on you. That's the difference between having a, 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 a learning culture as opposed to a blame culture. And a blame culture, you just have to think about what, what that looks like. And it's almost like a festering, cancerous kind of culture that is, uh, that is affecting everybody in the organization. And consequently, the first thing to disappear when it comes to a blame culture is trust. You're right. So many of us were taught shame. When we mess up, we feel shame. And and when you think about the emotions that accompany any any mess up, any mistake, um, you know, usually we're embarrassed. We want to we we learn to hide it. You know, we learn to um, not let anyone know that we didn't do something perfectly. We learn this as a young child, and we continue it into our adult years. And learning to lay down that shame around mistakes, and um, learning to step up and own it, and and develop the emotional competency. In emotional intelligence and competency of resilience and grit, you know, so, so this is tough and this is hard and maybe this was embarrassing and maybe, you know, maybe I do feel, uh, you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have done this mistake, but here's what I can learn from it. And here's how, you know, I will never repeat that one again. We, we just aren't taught these resilient qualities of learning from mistakes and letting the shame go and, and figuring out what to do next. It's that moving forward, moving on concept. Again, emotional intelligence coming into play here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people often say to me, you know, I'm, I'm constantly going on about having healthy cultures in organizations and in and in communities and they say well what does that look like and my, my simple phraseology is always about emotional intelligence and i said you know if you look at the four quadrants and the 26 competencies that's emotional intelligence it impacts on some such a wide area but if we get all of that right imagine the kind of organization that you could have right now imagine the kind of relationships the kind of work ethic the kind of environment in which you operate and also the bottom line the kind of bottom line that you would have so yeah, I think you're absolutely right around the whole culture thing. Now we've talked about at length around the coaching leadership style, but I just want to turn it slightly inwards. So I want to take two words out of that and just look at them slightly differently. I want to talk about leaders. I want to talk about coaching. But I actually want to talk about coaching leaders. As opposed to leaders doing the coaching, how about leaders receiving coaching? One thing that I see time and time again is that not enough leaders out there see the value 
in having a coach, what would you say is like the biggest business case, if you like, of leaders, leaders out there uh, going out seeking the services of a coach? How are you going to learn to coach if you don't know, if you haven't experienced it yourself? I think that's the place for all leaders to start. The problem with that is I don't know any leader right now that's not completely maxed out, um, battling the stress of having too much on their plate. So, so many times coaching just sounds like one more thing. You know, now, now I've got to add coaching to my plate. You know, I don't have time for this. But what we need to look at is that we actually will save time down the road. We'll save stress down the road. Um, it's it's a proactive approach. So any leader who can who can get a coach to start working with them, not only will they have a model of what coaching can look like, but they can actually begin to get healthy themselves, get emotionally healthy themselves, um, developing self awareness, noticing that when they feel those hot emotions that they don't have to react right there in that moment, reactions that usually don't serve us and our teams very well, that they actually can take a breath and slow down and think, wow, I am feeling this. Here's why I'm feeling this. And here's my choice of what I'm going to do next. So many of us just react in those hot moments and and um, cause all kinds of havoc down the road. So learning that awareness, here's what I'm feeling. Wow, yeah, I, I am feeling angry. Here's why I'm feeling angry. And here's what I'd like to do. Here, here's a proactive choice I can do. And then once we develop that as a leader, now tuning into others, now I'm noticing, you know what, Joe over here is feeling. You know, he's not been performing how I would like him to, but I'm noticing he's He's coming in, you know, with a frown on his face every day. Have I even stopped to ask him, you know, what's going on? What's going on in his personal world? Um, so get developing that self-awareness. And then again, we have a choice in the behavior that follows. You know, now that I know Joe, now that I know what he's struggling with, as a leader, what choice can I make as I work with him? You know, maybe, maybe he needs some time off, you know, maybe... Who knows, finding out. But that learning to do that as a coach is the only way we're going to be able to, as a leader, is the only way we're going to be able to turn around and um, apply it to others. I, I don't know how else to learn coaching other than to have a coach modeling that those behaviors. Uh, 100%, 100%. And on top of all of that, I think you're so correct when you started off by saying that everyone's maxed out. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm working with so many organizations and the one thing that people are talking about is the potential for being burnt out right now. And, and some people are saying that in this virtual environment or this hybrid environment that we work in, there's actually higher levels of expectations on, on me to put the hours in, to go from back-to-back -back meetings and still do the work that I'm, I'm asked to do. But it means me working longer hours. And there's a lot of leaders out there who have got this incredible amount of pressure right now uh, and aside from all of the, the great benefits that you talk about there, Amy, I think one of them has got to be to free our own headspace up, to get some quality thinking and to have a mirror in front of us in the, in, in, the, in the guise of a coach, to have a mirror in front of us to bounce ideas off that mirror and do the deeper thinking. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. So many, again, so many leaders feel like they need to have all the answers, but who do they talk to? Who do they, who do they share with that they're a little bit worried or they're nervous or they're not, they're unsure of the future? Do leaders ever get to admit that out loud to teams? So to have a coach that, like you said, just to, just to be able to, to kind of unload and, and share some of the burdens that they carry. Um, so many of us as leaders have been taught to carry that, you know, it's a, you're, you're an island, you know, go up to your office, shut your door and figure things out. 
about. And so to have a coach to lean into, to, to share ideas, to collaborate with, um, such a such a way to help with that stress management that, that, like you said, all of us are struggling with right now. Very strange world right now, a very challenging world. And I think if ever there was a time for more emotional intelligence, it's right now. Uh, you know, and never been needed more. You know, I'm always reminded of a, 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 a statistic that I saw, uh, and it was from the World Economic Forum uh, back in 2016, I think it was. And they said that they predicted by the year 2020, the most important trait that most organizations will be looking for in their leaders is emotional intelligence. So I always have a wry smile to that, Amy, because in 2020, of course, lots of things happened. And if ever, if ever there was a trait right now that they need to look for, it's emotional intelligence, more so than we thought, you know? Totally agree. In 2020, LinkedIn, LinkedIn puts out this workplace learning performance report each year. And in 2020, um, I think it was eight of the 10 top skills that employees are looking for um, in, in, in potential employees were emotional intelligent competencies. In 2021, um, all of them except one were emotional intelligence competencies. And the new one that just came out this year, I think it's considered the top top power skills. Like you said earlier, not con- calling them soft skills anymore because there's nothing soft about them. The top power skills, um, all of them are either emotional intelligence directly or enhanced by emotional intelligence. So it that, that 2016 prediction has come true. We we value emotional intelligence. We we desperately need it. And if any of you are on social media or um, it, and even just watching world news, um, you can sit there and say, yes, we need more emotional intelligence. So many of our conflict and our, our struggles and our trials um, come from a lack of it. We we're not we're not self aware. We're not managing our behaviors. You know, when when I, I know when I'm getting upset about something, the number one behavior for me is to keep my mouth shut like literally lips together shut because if I open my mouth in those moments who knows what's going to come out so few people realize they have a choice in that and just read social media posts and you'll just see all sorts of words flying that probably in a, in a, in our, at our best selves would not be shared. Um, and tuning into others, how many people right now are really looking to, f- you know, find out what, what other people are feeling, what they're struggling with. There's such a self-focused, um, especially in social media, that um, we forget that other awareness piece. And then to know that I actually have a choice of how I can manage my relationship with that person, obviously can't control them and make them be the way I want. But to know I have a choice in our relationship, um, oh my goodness, if people were doing this now, what a different world it would be. Oh, goodness gracious. I mean, if if we had emotional intelligence out there in the world in abundance, we'd be living in a wholly different world. And and, and I think you're so right. I've been watching, uh, like so many other people, world events over the last two years, from American politics through to global responses to uh, the pandemic, through to things that have happened around BLM and and, and the global you know uh, disorder, right through to the war that's happening in Ukraine right now, and I just ask myself the question: if the discussions or the thinking had been different and more empathic, or more um, with a greater ability to change perceptions, uh, or more trust at the heart of the negotiations, what would the world look like right now? Uh, and it's an open-ended question, isn't it? It sits up right up there. We both know that, well, we all know, I think, in the heart of hearts, we know that if our 
leaders of the world were demonstrating more emotional intelligence that we would have a yeah. Uh, incredibly different world right now. And I do find it's easy to look out there and point at those 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 high up leaders, if only they. But what we can also do is stop and look in our own lives and our personal lives with our, with our significant others and our best friends and those we work closely with. How's our emotional intelligence? Because I find it's so easy to point the finger at, oh, if only the leaders would get it together and do this. But something we all can do is look at our own self-awareness. All of us grow in our, in our behavior management. All of us grow and just starting asking questions questions to people ask open into questions to friends to colleagues how are you doing and really and really stop to listen to those responses and then managing those relationships um it doesn't have to just be the leaders who are doing it we all no matter what our job title is no matter what our our lot in life is we all can start practicing more of this in our day to day and let's not forget that we are all leaders at some point or another anyway if somebody's looking up to you if you're influencing other people or influencing circumstances you are a leader so let's be uh, start behaving like leaders and understand the the impact that we have on those around us. Amy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's been a, a long overdue conversation. I think we may have to have another one as well. I think we should. Uh, but... Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoy your insights. And likewise, likewise, I've really been looking forward to having you on the show. Uh, so thank you so much. Enjoy your happy travels. Happy travels. Are you traveling all the way around? Uh, florida in your in your rv right now aren't you? we are but this summer we're heading up the east coast and i'm so excited i have a few states in new england that i've never seen so that's our <laughs> that's our next stop after florida so i am so envious i am so envious uh wish you happy travels uh, safe journey wherever you go and uh, i love the rv lifestyle thanks very much amy and uh, all the very best thank you carl thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.